This is Contractor Sense with Ruth King. Welcome to Contractor Sense. Here you discover ideas, tactics, news, and information that matters to your contracting business and you. I'm your host, Ruth King. This episode is sponsored by HVAC Trustbooks. Go to HVACTrustbooks.com to discover how this tool can help you close more sales. Thank you for joining us. Here is how we will help your business and you today. We all exit our businesses, and as we talked about last time, it is much better to plan our exit than to have it happen without our control, whether that exit is to an outside person or an outside group or, or your family members or your employees. So in the last podcast, we talked about succession and the potential for selling your business and you know how to get ready for it. In this podcast, we will describe the sales process so that you know what you should be expecting. My guest is Ashish Ashkalar, founder and CEO of Near You, a company whose vision is to be the best employer and provide the best customer experience in the HVAC industry. In terms of full disclosure, I am an advisory board member to Near You. Ashish, welcome back to Contractor Sense. Thank you, Ruth. Thanks for having me. And I am looking forward to this this one. Not that the other is not important, you know, getting your balance sheet ready, mm-hmm. getting your P&L ready, you know, making sure that it is accurate. And, you know, I've seen so many things and you've seen so many things. You know, my goal is for all the contractors I work with, whether they want to sell or not, obviously, is to make sure that they're accurate because you can't make good business decisions on inaccurate data, whether you're selling or not. All right. Agreed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's assume they have great financial statements. They have a great attorney. Mm -hmm. They have a great CPA and they found Mm -hmm. all these people, whether they are their regular CPA and attorney or not. Um, So we're ready to start the sales process. They have raised their hand. None of their kids want the business. They're getting tired of the business. None of their employees either want it or can, can afford it. And they're looking for somebody outside to purchase the business. And, you know, this may be some of you listening and you may know somebody who this is, who's going through this right now and have them listen to this podcast because it will help them understand what the selling process is all about. So let's start with, I've raised my hand. I want to sell my business Mm -hmm. and what happens? Great. Yep. So the first, first step is to, to create some, uh, you know, optionality in terms of people that would like to buy your business. And there's many ways of doing that. You could list your company on a broker site. Uh, you could send feelers to uh, potential buyers that are logical parties that would buy your business in the market. Uh, or you could basically, <clears throat> uh, with the help of your CPN attorney, see if they know someone that is willing to jump in and, you know, give you an offer. So, I would advise contractors, my fellow contractors, to vet the buyer universe very thoroughly. Make sure that you understand who the buyer is, what their plans are for your customers and employees, what they want to do with your business. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, because of how attractive the industry is, there's a lot of buyers interested to buy at as low a price as possible and then flip the company in two or three years. It's your choice if you want to go with that kind of a buyer. Um, I would just say one thing about near you. We are not that buyer. We are not a, uh, a financial firm. We are an HVC contractor just like you are. So the first step is to find what kind of buyer you want to work with and create as many options as possible so you can vet uh, the offer. The next step is what I would say uh, 
what I would call a non-disclosure agreement, right? It's a legal document, so you should have an attorney take a look at it. All that document says is any information that you give to the potential buyer or buyers and any information or dialogue that they have with you remains confidential. Typically, there is a one or two year period uh, before that confidentiality expires. But that's the first, before you have any conversation with anyone about potentially selling your business, that's the document you should get signed. Uh, typically takes, you know, anywhere from two days to five days to kind of negotiate that. These are standard documents. Shouldn't take much time. Uh, the second step after you sign a non-disclosure agreement is to request the buyer to send you a list of information that they would need uh, to be able to determine the value of your business. Uh, depending on what buyer uh, you are talking to and if they know what they're doing, they would have a template ready to send you as soon as you sign the NDA. That will tell you a lot about how serious the buyer is and if they know what they're doing, right? If they have this template ready, that means they have done this before and they know exactly what they will be doing with your business once they acquire it. Once you get that request list, with the help of your CPA and hopefully uh, some members of your team, you will put that information together, send it to the buyer. Uh, once they have that information, you would work, you, your attorneys, CPAs, and the buyer's team would work to put together a document called letter of intent. It's a non-binding document, meaning you could walk away, the buyer could walk away, but it codifies for you and the buyer, what is the purchase price of the company? How are you gonna get your money? And if there is a uh, contingency to how you get your money, you know, or do you get all your money up front or do you get some of, some of your money later on? So it will have all those terms specified and it will also have a closing date for the transaction. So in my experience, typically um, uh, it takes anywhere from seven to 10 days to negotiate an LOI. Once, uh, once both sides have agreed to a purchase price. From there, a buyer would typically begin a deep dive diligence uh, session. They would take them anywhere from 30 to 45 days and they would like to dive deeper and understand more about your customers, more about your employees. Uh, they would like to get to know your market more and understand what the growth potential is and so on. The key thing to remember uh, as a seller in that process is uh, there are some pieces of information that you don't want to reveal uh, before you actually get your check. For example, you don't want to be telling them the names of your customers. You don't want to be exposing them to a, a list of all your vendors because that can lead to some confidentiality issues. So uh, that process after about 45 days uh, will, will finish the diligence of the, of the buyer while you're doing that, uh, it's important to start working on the final document, which is the binding document. It's called the purchase agreement. Depending on what kind of deal you want to structure, it could be a stock purchase agreement, meaning the buyer is giving you money to buy the stock of the company, or it could be an asset purchase agreement. The buyer is giving you money to buy the assets of the company. We can dive deeper into that in a different session, maybe Ruth, in the future, but there is a document that basically codifies the deal and it allocates the risk between the buyer and the seller. That's the best way to put it. Your attorney will play a huge role in this. 
because you may or may not have done this before, I encourage you guys to print the document, the first version of the document you get, read line by line, and ask questions to your attorney about what that document means and what every single sentence in this means. You don't want to be reading that document three days before the deal is going to close. Not absolutely not. Okay. Understand what you're signing on. (laughs) All right. So when we get back, let's get more into the the purchase agreements and, and that type of document. So thank you for listening to Contractor Sense. We'll be right back. Do you ever have warranty leak issues? One of Ruth King's clients did about four years ago. Thousands of dollars in expense and unhappy customers. She solved this problem for him, though. How? With a leak letter that every customer must sign when a service technician discovers a refrigerant leak. Once they implemented the letter, there were no more warranty leak headaches. No warranty leak callbacks. Happier customers. The surprising result was more replacement sales, too. To get a copy of the leak letter for free, just send Ruth an email at ruthking at hvacchannel.tv. That's ruthking at hvacchannel.tv. You can't. That's what my daughter Kate told me when I said I wanted to make financials fun. The gauntlet was laid down. The red blanket was waved in front of the bowl. Ronin the Rubber Duck was born. This ebook is a whimsical look at financials from a duck's perspective. To get this fun, easy to read Kindle book, go to Amazon and search for Ronin the Rubber Duck Dives into Financials. That's R O N A N, the Rubber Duck Dives into Financials. Let me know if I made financials fun for you. Welcome back to Contractor Sense. Thank you for listening. We are into the discussion of purchase agreements and the whole process for actually selling your company. And quite frankly, even if you're selling it internally, when I say internally, I mean to your your kids, employees, the same type of process has to happen simply because you want to be protected and you want whoever's buying your company to be protected. So Ashish, um, we're into the purchase agreement and you're absolutely right. You know, reading it three days before it's supposed to sign is not exactly a good idea. It definitely is not. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen people do it though. I've seen people do it and, and they suffer because of that. So I would advise not to. Yeah, and, and the reality of the situation is that if you do that and you sign something you do not understand, then, you know, shame on you more so than anything else. I mean, your attorneys right. and your CPA should be familiar enough and you should trust them enough to say, look, I've never done this before. I have no idea what half of these legal terms mean. And would you mind, you know, taking the time to explain all of this to me to make sure that we're all on the same page? And if they're worth what they're, charging you the answer should be yes it's their job yeah absolutely it's their job and it's also again i'll bring in the counterparty is you need to develop a relationship with the potential buyer where you, you you should also ask them to walk you through the terms and see what they say and double check and triple check that with what your attorney says that 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 tells you how how honest uh of a counterparty you are interacting with uh, we do that at near you. We basically walk all our sellers through to the extent they would like a, a set of terms and say, this is what this means. And this is why it is here. And also remember that an asset purchase agreement or a stock purchase agreement is a document that needs to be negotiated. So just because you got something in, in the first iteration that you don't like, or you feel scared, scared of, doesn't mean you should walk away from the deal. You, you, this is an iteration. It's a negotiation process, right? You, you're going to have to 
take some and give some in this process. That's how deals get done. So I would encourage contractors to look at that as a standard document that basically starts at a point A. And when the deal gets done, it's maybe at point G, right? Where both sides have negotiated what is fair. So do not get distracted by the fact that the first version might be something that you don't understand or don't like. There is a way to get to the finish line and it's meant to be an iterative process. Yeah, one of my friends actually was on Rev 69 <laughs> before the deal closed. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> you know, but it was Rev 69. They negotiated the document 69 times. Wow. So, you know, I don't think that's typical, but it, they went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I'm sure the attorneys made a lot of money on that one. <laughs> yes. The more the more the iterations, the more the attorney bills. So just uh, that's another thing, you know, like when you when uh, if if when I did this for the first time, I had no idea what to expect in terms of attorney fees. And now that we have done it many, many times over, we have a good idea for it. We have a template and so on. So uh, I would I would ask the contractors to be watchful of the attorney fees, you know, track it, make sure um Make sure you're, you're spending money on the right reasons. But this is a pretty important document. You're essentially taking your lifetime's worth of uh, work and handing over to someone. It's not just, it's not a trade. It is a transfer of your legacy. And you want to make sure that you do it right. So as, as people think about attorney fees and CPA fees, uh, let's not be pennywise pound foolish. Let's be watchful. But let's make sure that, let's understand that this is money that needs to be spent. It has to be spent on the right person and the right reason, but that's, that's, that's necessary for getting a good deal done so that your customers and your employees feel secure with the buyer that you've chosen to take your legacy to next level. Yep, absolutely. So, okay, so let's assume the purchase agreement is signed, whether it's an APA asset purchase agreement or a stock purchase agreement. And, then what happens? I sign it, you sign it, and what happens? So there are two scenarios that are likely. Um, there is a scenario in which you sign and then close. Uh, typically, there is a gap of 15, 20 days between signing and closing. And I won't go into the reasons why people choose that scenario. It depends on case-by-case basis. And there is a scenario in which you sign and close. So you sign and close on the same day, same minute. Uh, typically between, <laughs> if, if it's a sign and then close, the type of things that happen between signing and closing is if there is a set of employees that uh, don't know about the transaction, it's a good idea for you to bring them under the tent, take them into confidence and tell them what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you do it the right way, I don't think there is any risk in uh, telling the employees. You, they just need to, you need to articulate how you chose the buyer so that they understand that their future is secure. So there's things like that that happen between signing and closing. We at Near You, we take the transition process very seriously. Uh, I wouldn't say the first time we did it, we were perfect, but as we have done it many times over, we have uh, learned and refined our process. And what I mean by transition is making sure that the business doesn't skip a beat on day one when we actually take that on. It's a lot of work that goes behind the, behind the scenes to make that happen, ranging from transferring bank accounts and setting up vendor accounts and making sure the IT systems are working correctly and so on. 
onboarding employees, that's a big piece. And those things need time, um, health benefit, transferring health benefits and making sure the, the, uh, uh, commercial, uh, the commercial insurance is transferred. All of those things typically happen between when you sign and close. And it's your responsibility as a seller to cooperate with the buyer so that happens so that on day one, when the deal closes, everything is good to go. Now, when, when, when people sign and close at the same time, there is always the risk that you will have to start preparing for those things beforehand so that it's all ready to go on day one. So our preference is to sign and then close because we want to, we want to do it right and we want to make sure every, there is no disruption to the business on day one. But I also seen people sign and close at the same time. Right. All right. In the last minute or so, I think if you don't mind, I'm going to take this um, and just close it out simply because there's some things that I have seen um, when sellers sell. And I would just want to make all of you aware of them. Number one, have a hobby. Have something else you are going to do. You have spent 30, 40, 50 years in your business. And all of a sudden you've sold it and you don't go to the office the next day. It is a scary thing. It is an uncomfortable thing. It is something that you have not really thought about. The people who do really, really, really well that I have seen when they sell their businesses have been not having their entire life tied up in their businesses. They like to hunt. They like to fish. They're working with other entrepreneurs. They're you know, working on nonprofits. They're doing things outside of the business to actually keep them going and keep them excited. So Ashish, you know, you've seen it and I've seen it, but what are your thoughts? And I'll give you the last 30 seconds on that. <laughs> sure, sure. Great, great point, Ruth. You know, being able to let go is, is, is tough, but it is the best thing a contractor can do for the customers and employees of the company. Because having two drivers on the wheel uh, creates a lot of confusion and chaos. <clears throat> and the employees need to know that you have transitioned your business and are moving on and, and you know, doing what you would love to, you know, you're in your happy spot. Um, and it's really important to let go and be the champion for the new uh, owners of the company. That is the way your legacy is going to be taken to greater heights. That is the way your customers and employees are going to be taken care of. And that is the way you will earn even more respect in their eyes than if you create confusion in the system. So that is my appeal and uh, honest advice to contractors who want to transition out of the business. Yeah, I agree. I've seen good ones and bad ones, and you have too. So Ashish, if somebody wants to get <laughs> in touch with you, how do they do that? They should email me at Ashish, A-S-H-I-S-H, at near you n-e-a-r-u hyphen services.com and my phone number is 215-341-7561 i would look forward to hearing from my fellow contractors i'm here to help whether you want to sell your business to near you or not does not matter i'm here to help the industry here to help the contractors like you uh, that might want an unbiased advice from me ashish thank you so much Thank you, Ruth. And thanks to all of you for joining us. Choose one thing that you discovered and implement it in your business. These ideas, tactics, and strategies help you make more money, have more free time, and give back. If you like today's program, spread the word. Please review this podcast on any device you're listening to it on. Help a fellow contractor make more money too. 
For comments or questions, call me at 770-729-0258 or email ruthking at hvacchannel.tv. Thanks for listening. Have a great and profitable day.